on habits, and uh, we'll see where we go from there. I, I believe that Justin is going to be going into Second Thessalonians uh, to start a new series. We just finished the book of First Thessalonians, and now he's going to be entering into Second Thessalonians, which is pretty proper because that's exactly what I did when I was pastoring. I went through the book of First Thessalonians right into Second, keeping the context as the same. And so therefore, uh, you be praying for that as we start that next week. And we've been in this series, and this is our sixth week of it, and we've been taking the acrostic, which is literally habits. And what we're trying to do is develop good habits in our life. And, and we said that the H stood for hanging out with God, and that each and every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ should be taking some time in our life every single day, whether that's in the morning, in the evening, during your lunch period, uh, whatever works for you, but have a time in your life where you clear off your schedule, clear off every other distraction, put the phone away, grab the Bible, spend some time in God's Word, and allow God to speak to you through that book, and then you turn around and speak to God in, the, in, in through prayer. And so that's what we started with, with hanging out with God. And then we got into accountability. And this is one of the reasons we kind of hung on this because I can just tell you as a Baptist pastor for many years, what most church people can't stand is accountability. Uh, a part of that is because we are Americans. We are born with quote unquote freedom. And, and we feel like oh, I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't have to answer to anybody. Well, that's just simply not true. You answer to somebody at all times in your life. I don't care where it is. Your boss, your job. You say, well, you own your own business. I answer to a lot of people. Uh, everybody that hires us is my boss. And, and, you know, bottom line is we're all accountable to somebody. But we're ultimately accountable to God. And that what we believe in is not only being accountable to God, but it being accountable to the local church, and then turning around and having other people in our life that will hold us accountable, and those things are good habits to have. And then we talked about Bible memorization and meditation. So if we're hanging out with God every day in our life, and we're spending some time with the Lord in this book, then we want to spend the rest of the day meditating and, and, and memorizing what we learned that morning or that evening or whatever, and then just pondering on those things. And then we talked about the involvement in the local church. And remember, I, I did not say membership in the local church. I didn't talk about attending the local church. I was talking about involvement in the local church, where you and I get our life involved in the local church so that we are working the work of the Lord through that local assembly. And then last time we talked about tithing and, uh, and all the benefits that come from that. Well, today we're going to be picking up with the final word for a habit, and it's studying the Bible. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I thought you said hanging out with God, you know, and getting in the Word every day. Yes, that's from a devotional standpoint. Matter of fact, guys like me who really love studying have to be careful that when we're doing our daily devotion, we don't turn it into a Bible study because that's what happens a lot of times. You get to read in the Bible and go, ooh, that's some good stuff right there. Let me trace that throughout the scripture. And that's not what God's wanting for us to do when we're just hanging out and communing with him. But we want to get into Bible study and studying the Bible. Now, I understand that a lot of people in here are going to be thinking right now, wait a minute, I think that's what we pay you to do. Well, let's just start by saying you don't pay me anyway, okay? I do this for free. Now, if we took Justin 
And you say, well, that's what we pay him to do. Okay, great. You pay him to be a pastor of this church, and that's great, and that's what we ought to do, biblically speaking. However, just because you're paying him to study this book and to lead our church through a vision and through the book itself and teaching us those things doesn't negate the fact that every believer in Christ is accountable for studying the book themselves. And you're going to see why that is throughout this study here this morning. But I want you to understand that you have a personal responsibility to study the Bible yourself. And the reason being is, if you don't, it's very easy to get turned about by every wind of doctrine that is out there. And, and we're very careful that we, we make sure that we're trying to present to you verse by verse and the Bible in the way it's supposed to be. But let me just ask you, how do you know what we're saying is right? You just take our word for it? Okay, and as you're going to see in Scripture this morning, when you're out there and you're talking to people about your faith in Christ, how often do you end up in a countersuit? In other words, somebody's going, yeah, but what about this? And your response is, you just need to talk to my pastor. As though that's our job, to, to defend all your cubicle arguments. You know, and to come in and, and, and protect you. And that. No, the, the idea is that you know the scripture. That Peter says, listen, we're, we're to be ready to give an answer to all men that ask us. Not, hey, that's a good question. Let me get my pastor on the phone. Like, that is not the design of the individual Christian. So I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. We're going to deal with three verses, and I want you to look at them, and then we'll break them down. Now let's start here in verse 14. He says, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. We'll talk about that a little bit. But to the subverting of the hearer, studying to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, but notice here, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shame, or excuse me, that's my thought, the, but shun profane and vain babbling. Stay away from it. Get away from it. Shun it. He says, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Okay, so what we're going to do is just break this down, and we're going to start with number one, the devastation that will come from not studying the Word. Now understand, many of you think, well, I study the Word. I, I'm here for Sunday school. That's some of you, all right? I'm here for regular service. I come back on Wednesday night. I go to SoCal. I do the men's you know, breakfast. I listen to this per person teach. I listen to that person teach, and great, that's awesome. I'm I'm glad you're a part of that, and we want you to be a part of that. But we're going to be talking about the devastation that comes when you personally do not study the Scripture for yourself. And one of the problems with Americans, now understand, I am a cold, I mean, I am, I am as American as you can believe. You will never see a Japanese-made vehicle in my driveway unless you come over for a birthday party like yesterday. I'm by American, man. I am all for America. But the American attitude is we'll just pay somebody for that. I grew up having to mow lawns. 
not for money, because I was told to. I grew up washing dishes, and I always thought that was a chick's job. Didn't bother my uncle none to tell me to do it. But we live in the world, we'll just pay somebody to do that. And so when, when we bought our house, and I got sick and tired of mowing grass, I just paid a company to mow our grass. Here in just the last year, we've decided, no, CJ, you live here, you mow the grass. <laughs> and the reason being is because that's, we think that way, and I'm not just knocking you, I'm knocking myself. We live in the world, just pay somebody to do that. I don't even change the filters on my air conditioning system anymore. I just pay Kelly McCord and them. They come every six months, do a service thing on it, boom, it's done. I'm like, all right, that's done. I don't have to worry about it. I just pay somebody to do it. Well, that mentality has crept into our Christian walk. And we think, no, that's what we pay them to do. That's what we pay them to do. I just shouldn't give money and let somebody else go do that. Okay. It still doesn't negate the fact that you and I are personally responsible and one day we'll stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat to give an account of whether or not we did what was required of us. And so when we come here to 2 Timothy chapter 2, especially verse 15, and he says, to study to show thyself approved workman unto God, listen, he's not talking about just the pastors. That verse is for every Bible believer. How are you going to be approved as a workman unto God because you're paying justice? That's not how that works, okay? And so I want you to notice the devastation that will come, and we'll look back at the verse here. Now, notice he says here in verse 14, he starts off by saying, he says, of these things, put them in remembrance. Well, what are these things? Well, they go back to 2 Timothy 2.2 earlier in the chapter when he says, of the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. In other words, he's talking about, hey, the, the stuff you've seen me teach, I want you to make sure you got that down so that you can go and teach others also. And then he starts going down the list about being a good soldier, about enduring hardness, about striving for the crown. He gets down into like verse 18 and 9, uh, excuse me, 8 and 9. He starts talking about the gospel. And he says, now of these things, that's what he's saying there in verse 14. He says, charging them, in other words, holding them accountable before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. Yesterday was college football day. Today is the NFL. And Georgia pulled one out and beat Auburn. wonder how many conversations in church will be made about that today. The Braves, man, look how awesome they're doing. We're going into the playoffs High as a kite, man. Isn't this great? That's awesome. We'll talk about that. How about, how about Biden and Trump? Are we going to talk about that a little bit? Man, isn't it amazing what keeps our conversations going? And they're all words without profit. Because the bottom line is the book that we have in front of us, he says, I want you you to make sure they remember and I want you to charge them that they know these things the problem is in order for you and I to keep people in remembrance of something we have to know it ourselves and the reason we talk 
Biden-Trump, the reason why we talk Georgia-Auburn, the reason we talk about the weather and everything else is because that's the stuff we know. Because we don't spend a lot of time in the book. I wonder how many people sat down yesterday who called themselves Christians and spent hours watching football and have spent zero hours in the book this week. That's why your conversation goes where it goes. What's in the heart precedeth out of the mouth. And the reason we don't spend a lot of time talking about the Word of God is because we personally are not in the Word of God. And he said, listen, it's just words without profit. And one of the most scariest verses in all the Bible is Jesus says that one day when we stand before him, every idle word is going to be brought under judgment. Like, think about how many words you use in a day, ladies. I just wanted to make sure you guys are awake. All right, now, let's, let's notice here. He said, here is the problem with it. He says, if you just spend your life speaking words with no profit, he says, what ultimately happens is, he says, it's a subverting of the hearer. Not the subverting of you, the speaker of the words. It's a subverting of the hearer of those words. Now, let's look at this word subverting. It's interesting because your Bible translates that same word in 2 Peter 2.6, and he says, but the turning of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ash condemned them with an overthrow. It's the same word, subverting, overthrowing, overcoming. And, and God uses that in the same context. So that's verse 6 of 2 Peter. Here we are in verse 1 when he starts it, and he says, but there are among you false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. I want you to understand the words that God are using, God is using in this text. Peter's not so fired up, and he's not in his emotions that he starts cussing. This is not the terminology that God is using here. When he says damnable heresies, he's saying that these heresies, these doctrines in which they're teaching, he says, if you're not careful, they'll damn your soul to hell. I mean, it matters what you believe, guys. Doctrine matters. But we live in a society today that says, no, 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 no. It don't matter what you believe. Just love on Jesus, and Jesus will love on you. Okay, okay, well, let's put that to the test by looking at what Scripture says about that. Now, notice he says, he says, these damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon them, notice the word, swift destruction, subverting, overthrowing. And he goes on in the same book, in chapter 3 and verse 16, he says, as also in all his epistles, now he's speaking of Paul here, this is Peter speaking about Paul, when he says all of his epistles, speaking in them of things which, things in which are some things hard to be understood. Now, let's all agree. If you've ever read the book of Romans, it's tough. Like you read and you go, now what? What was that, Paul? I mean, it almost read. You ever read the service agreement to anything? Or do you just click, yes, I'll take it? All right. If you ever take the time and read those service agreements or any contract, 
the language in them are just tough to really understand. And that's the way the book of Romans is. The book of Galatians is connected to that. And I get what Peter's saying. There's a lot of things that Paul taught that were hard to be understood. Now, he's not knocking Paul saying, oh, you just went too deep for him. He recognizes because he calls it scripture. And he says, listen, it's a lot of things that are hard to be understood, which they, now he's going he's to clarify, that are unlearned, and unstable rest. You see the word W-R-E-S-T? It's where we get our English word wrestling. Or, I'm sorry, I'm in the South. Wrestling. Right? Now, now you can understand it. Right? He, he says, listen. He said, when Paul puts out this deep information, he says, those that are unstable and unlearned, they get to wrestling with that stuff. And what it does is pin them to the floor. Because he says, as they do also the other scriptures. So he's saying, it's not just what Paul says, but the other scripture. And notice what he says. He says, they do it under their own destruction. Notice that the last verse, swift destruction. This time it's their own destruction. It goes right back to what Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.14 is talking about. Listen. He says, when we put forth words of no profit, it subverts, destroys, overthrows the hearer. Because we want to spend time talking about the weather and the bulldogs and the braves and all that other stuff and not actually putting forth the book, then the hearer of that is subverted, brought to destruction. I'm I'm going somewhere. Now, you hear me say that a lot, and those who actually listen realize I actually do go somewhere. May not be where you want me to go, but I'm going somewhere, right? Now, let's get over here where Paul is telling us in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 4, and he says this thing, he says, man, he says, I would to God you could bear with me for a little while in my folly, indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And then he, then he stops. He says, hey, that's what I'm wanting to do. But then he puts that little conjunction, B-U-T. But I fear lest by any means as, and what are the two most important words in all the Bible? As in life, right? Okay, he says, as the serpent beguiled Eve, Through subtlety, Satan never comes up to people and says, hey, I'm Satan. I want you to worship me. Not how that works. He does it first and foremost through scripture, and then he does it through subtlety. Remember when he come to Eve? Yay, has that what God really said? Are you sure that's what God said? And instead of her resisting Satan by going, absolutely, that's what God said, and here's why we know it. She was like, I I don't know. Maybe that's not what God said. I I don't know. I wasn't there. He told Adam, and Adam told me, maybe I got it wrong. You notice how he picked on her? He didn't go to Adam. He went to her. And the bottom line is, what happens to the unstable and unlearned, they end up to swift destruction because Satan comes and destroys people that don't know the book. And when your, when your trial of temptation comes in your life, I can't help you. 
Justin can't help you. You better know that you know what you believe in that moment of trial. And when Satan wants to attack you, you better know that you know the book. Because that's what protects you. I can't do it for you. And just a little side note, I got him attacking me. I'm, I'm busy trying to fend him off myself. All I'm going to try to do is give you the book, the sword to defend yourself with. Now notice here, he said, my concern is he's going to come with subtlety. And you say, okay, how's he going to do that? Well, here's how he's going to do it. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus. Now, guys, you've heard me at nauseum speak this. The question isn't whether you believe in Jesus. Look at what the verse says. The guy coming to preach is going to preach Jesus. The question Paul's putting forth is, which Jesus? He says, for if he cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, now notice this, or if he receive, an, look at the word, another spirit. Okay, let's just stop a second. In this church, we would teach that speaking in tongues is a non-biblical doctrine. And we would prove that through scripture. You could go down the street, go in there, and they would speak in tongues. We would say, that is not the Holy Spirit. They would say, yes, it is. Okay, fine. Would you agree that one of us has to be wrong? We both can't be right. And that's fine. The question isn't whether the Spirit is moving. The question is, which spirit is moving? You live on another planet if you don't think the spirit is not involved in that stuff. You can go to yoga classes and catch the spirit. You can go to Hindu temples and catch the spirit. I mean, man, we can get into some really weirdo stuff and catch some spirits. The question isn't if we're catching a spirit question is, which spirit are we catching? And he goes on. He says, this isn't it. It's not just a matter of having another Jesus or another spirit, but he, he goes on. He says, and, and he says, which have not received or another gospel. Whoa. Well, how many gospels are there to be saved by? According to scripture, there's one. Now, this is a little interesting because of its timing, but on Wednesday night, we just started a new series called Detuliping, and, and we are breaking down the difference between Reformed theology and how they believe somebody gets saved and how we teach how somebody gets saved. Okay, now, in, in, in just short, Paul says in Galatians that if anyone come and preach another gospel, including an angel, let them be accursed. Now, hang with me, I'm going somewhere. And I'm going there quick, watch. Paul says, if you preach any other gospel other than the one that we've preached to you, let them be accursed. Okay. Reformed theology and Calvinism teach that God, before the foundation of the earth, chose certain people to be saved and certain people to die and go to hell. That's their belief system in a in a nutshell. And that everybody that gets saved gets saved whether they want to or not through irresistible grace. And that God 
wakens them up, shows them the truth, and they accept Christ. Okay. We would teach that as absolutely false. On the other side, we teach anyone who is willing to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the call to salvation, God is not only willing, but wants to save every single person. Okay. So what we preach and what they preach, two different things, right? Okay. Here's what you got to accept. We both can't be right. Now, we both may be wrong, according to some people. But what you can't say is, oh, well, you're both right. Now, let's go back to what Paul said. Paul says, if any man preach another gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Which means somebody's cursed. Either they are or we are or both of us. But we both can't be right. And you say, why, why does this matter, man? Why does it matter? Because the existence of your soul in eternity matters on the gospel. And whether you're receiving truth of the gospel. Like, guys, the worst thing you could do is spend your whole life believing in, quote, unquote, the gospel, and you die and you realize, uh-oh, wrong gospel. Huh. What do we do now? Too late. Which is why it's devastating not to study the scriptures. And here's what I want you to have more than anything. Who cares what the Reformed guys teach? Who cares what Justin, Corey, or Jerry, or any of us teach? Who cares? My opinion should mean nothing to you. What should mean everything to you is what that book says. And you should be able to go into that book and go, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. And here's why. That's why we spend so much time breaking down Scripture. To give it to you in layman's terms so that you, as the believer in Christ that sits in the pew, know what you believe. Now, the same chapter, he goes on after he says, hey man, there's going to be some people coming around. He said, they're going to preach another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel, okay? He, we get down to verse 13 and 15, and he says, I'm going to tell you who these guys are. He says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, in other words, don't freak out, don't be amazed by this, for Satan himself is transformed into the angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Okay, so he says there's literally Satan has guys in pulpits. Now, I, I got to ask you a question. How do you know I'm not one of them? How do you know that I am not a deceitful worker trying to deceive you? It's a legitimate question. I'll go even better. How do you know your new pastor isn't one? Well, he smiles all the time. He's nice. Now, he's not here to defend himself. Always watch out for the smiling guy. He's generally the car salesman that's about to put sawdust in your rear end and sell you a used car. Now, my point is, how do you know that the men in this pulpit are not these people? 
God's given you a plumb bob. He's given you a metric, a way to measure what these guys are. And he says, it's the book. You'll know them by what they're saying. It's not whether they smile or they're nice. Dude down in Texas is smiling all the time. I never smile. I had to look at this and tell me if you'd smile. <laughs> the, po- the point is, how you're going to gauge is not our outward actions as much as what we say. And is what we're saying lining up with Scripture? Well, I don't know. I don't know Scripture. That's the point. You've got to get in the book. We're, we're moving on quickly. He says in, in Titus 1, 9, he says, holding fast the faithful words as he has been taught, that he may be... By how? Sound doctrine, both to exhort and convince the gainsayer. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially among the, uh, the, the circumcision, in other words, the Jewish community at that time. And notice what he says in verse 11. He said, those people out here that are teaching falsely, verse 11 says, whose mouths must be stopped. Why? Look at the words that Paul uses. Who subvert. That's the same word that we're studying in in 2 Timothy. Who subvert whole households is teaching them things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. They're doing it for the money. That's one of the things you can look at. I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it because I just want to irritate you. I I just like preaching because I get, you know, 35, 40, 50, 60 an hour. I get some time to stand up here and just yell at you. I feel better when I leave. And everybody says you ought to feel better when you leave church. And I do. Right? Now watch. Not only the devastation, but the devoted effort required for studying the word. Now watch this. I want you to look at the word here. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, I want you to notice the word study is the same word that is used here by Paul is the same word that we get our English word speed. And it means to labor. It means effort. It, listen, if you're going to run really fast, it's going to take some effort. I mean, you're going to have to put some energy into it. And he says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, notice who you're being approved on. The reason we study the Word of God is not to impress the pastors. It's not to impress our friends. It's not to impress the co-worker. It's saying, hey, God, I'm studying this book because I want to be approved by you. Right? Now, notice here. In, in, in 1 Timothy 5, 17, he says, let the elder or the pastor that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now, he's saying, listen, if a man's in the pulpit and he's, he's laboring and he's doing what he's supposed to do, he said, let him be counted as double honor. But he says, especially of those who labor in the word and doctrine. It's interesting we use the word labor that way. You know what else we use the word labor for? For birth. Now, you ladies that are in here, how easy was that? Now, I'm not talking. I would point to Whitney, but she's going to have How you doing? It's going to be really easy, isn't it? <laughs> she's giving me a thumbs up. Now, those of you that have given labor, listen. And by the way, I just found out the other day, women who have went through natural birth, that's the closest you could ever understand what it is for a man to have the flu. 
I had to use that. Okay, now, those of you that have went through that, it's laboring, you're sweating, you're pushing, you're under pain. It's a lot of anguish that goes on. And God's saying, listen, those who labor get to work. Listen, if you come and you work for me, you're going to sweat. It's just our nature. We're going to get in there and get after it. Well, we want to take that same work ethic when it comes to this book and go, man, I'm diving in here. And when it comes to studying this book, it's not a casual read. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take five minutes of my life and, and, and dive into the Bible here. No, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. It's interesting that when we talk about the work of the Lord, what is it called? The work of the Lord. And we live in a society that doesn't want to work. That's why we have labor issues in this country today, because nobody wants to work. Everybody wants the money, nobody wants the work. And the problem is, when it comes to this book, it takes work. One of the things that I have learned in my 30 plus years of being saved is the men who stand in these pulpits, you know the guys that put in the time, and you know the ones that don't. It doesn't take very quick to figure out, yeah, that was kind of thrown together. But the guys that are studying this thing, man, you're going to see it. And he says, listen, he says, know that your labor's not in vain. The Bible says in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, you know what he says? He said, man, pray that the Lord would send laborers to the harvest. Which means you're going to have to work. Right? Now, Acts 17, 11, these more... These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And I hope that's what you're doing this, this morning, that you are, have an open mind to receive the word. Not because I'm here or Justin or Jerry or Rodney or CJ or whoever, whoever stands here. That shouldn't matter. Your attitude's the same. I'm ready to receive, God. And then he says, and then they went home and searched the scriptures daily whether those things be so. How do you know I'm not a satanic minister of Christ? Because you should be able to go home, take your Bible, and go, yep, what he's saying is right. Yep, what he's saying lines up with Scripture. I see it. All right? We're almost done. Watch this. All right? The dexterity used in studying the Word. Now, the word dexterity just simply means skilled or craftsman, especially with their hands. And the reason I went with it is because I'm obviously a literator and I needed a D word, and there it was. Dexterity. You learn something new. Now, the dexterity needed to studying the word. Now, I want you to look at the word here. He says, listen, rightly dividing the word of truth. So he says, I want you to study it to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, and you've heard me say, if he's requiring you and I to rightly divide it, then there is an option to wrongly divide it, okay? The other thing that's very clear is if he's telling you to rightly divide the word, then we know that there are divisions in the word, okay? Now, I want you to notice here, you guys know that I own an awning company. Now, this is not, this is a dress, I assume, but I was using this as an example, Okay? So when we build awnings out of fabric and we're building them, we build them out of patterns. And so we'll lay that pattern down much like a lady would lay down or a, a gentleman would lay down a pattern upon a, you know, a, a piece of cloth to make a suit or what have you. And, and what you would do is correctly 
cut that apart into sections. Now, when you're done, it's one complete dress. But it is divided up into sections so that it can be put together. Your Bible is much like that. The Bible as a whole is the Bible. But it is broken down into sections. And if you don't get those sections right, then nothing fits right. It's the same way in the awning business. If you put parts together that are not supposed to be together, the system isn't going to work. Therefore, when it comes to you and I rightly dividing it, we got to know where to divide. We, not, we need to know what goes where in order for it to fit correctly. Now, in order to do that, God calls you something. It's called a workman that rightly divides the word of truth. It's going to take some work. Now, when you get into the Old Testament and you start studying the tabernacle, there were some dudes who were very gifted with dexterity, if you will. It says, and he hath filled with wisdom of heart to work all manners of work and in, of the engraver and of the cunning workman and the embroiderer. These are the guys that put all the parts together. If you've studied this Old Testament, when it came time to put all the sockets and the curtains and the, all the uh, detail that would go into the uh, engraving of like the ark and the mercy seat and all that, these guys were very skilled at what they did. Now, I will tell you, there are certain people that God makes very skilled at breaking down Scripture. But just because you're necessarily not really that skilled doesn't negate the fact you don't need to study Scripture. You just have to work harder. Like, you know, it's amazing to me. We got all these D, what is it, DIY shows that go on, do-it-yourself shows. You are the people that irritate me in Home Depot when I'm in there trying to get materials to get to the job on time, and you're window shopping, right? Now, we all got the do-it-yourself thing, right? And I've, talked, I've got plenty of my friends who are handymen or guys that are very skilled labor and doing stuff, and I got one that tells me about a third of his work throughout the year is somebody went in to do the job themselves. And realize, I can't do it. I, I just pay you to do it. And then the problem is, he has to come in and jerk out and rip out everything they've done and start again. So I'm all for the do-it-yourself, but you got to put in the labor. It's one thing for you to watch, what's the chick and the husband? Yeah, Joanna Gaines and her husband. And, you know, they make it sound like in 30 minutes you can rebuild a house. Right? I'm all for looking at YouTube videos and learning how to do something. But man, it takes some skill set at times. And you're not going to get that by watching a video or two. It's going to take practice. You're going to have to put in the effort. And if you're going to study this book, it's going to take a lifetime of understanding how to do that. Now watch. When you break down the scripture, the Old Testament is broken down in multiple divisions. The New Testament is even in other divisions. And I want you to understand, all Scripture is written for us, but not all Scripture is written to us. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Meaning, if you're not careful, you can go into some passages that were designed for Jewish people in the Old Testament, and you start applying it to your daily life today, and you're wrong, you're out of you're out of sorts. You haven't rightly divided the word. I'll give you an example. 
If you go into the New Testament, into the book of Hebrews and the book of James, you start reading some verses that make it sound like you can lose your salvation. And this is where other churches say, hey, see, you can lose your salvation. Here's the verse. And you know what? They're right. Those verses do teach losing your salvation. Okay, what are we going to do with that? Well, the book of Hebrews is written to who? Hebrews, right? The book of James starts out with to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Which tribe are you? Oh, so those books are for us, but not to us. You understand what I mean? Meaning they were written to Hebrews and to Jews, and what God is doing is those books during the tribulation come into a doctrinal stance in a way different effort than you and I would have today. Now, what we do, we're Pauline epistle guys. That's where we get our doctrine, Romans through Thessalonians. And then we go on into Timothy through Philemon. What Paul wrote to the churches is how we apply doctrine. We get over into Hebrews, James, and John, and all those others, and we get very careful on what we apply to our daily life because, whoa, whoa, yes, that is a truth, but it is not a truth applied to this doctrinal setup. And you go, whoa, that's my point. When you're studying the Bible, you got to rightly divide it. This is to me and for me. This is for me, but not to me. Okay? And that's just one example of many in Scripture. Now, and we're going to close with this one. The dodging of those that are not in the Word. Now, dodging. Look at the Word here. He says here in verse 16, he says, But shun profane and vain babblings, which brings you back up to where we started. He's talking about those words with no profit. He says, Shun profane, profane and vain babblings, for they, what? The words, the, the, the babblings and the, uh, all that. He says, all that will lead to more ungodliness. And he says, I want you to shun it. I want you to get away from it. Don't be around it. Okay, now, when you get to Romans chapter 16, verse 17, he uses this terminology, and Paul says it this way. He says, now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions. Now, I've, used, I've seen this verse used in, script, or in churches throughout my time for all kinds of reasons. You get a little church tiff going on, right? They like orange pews, and the new guys like the blue pews. I'm just giving you some history <laughs> of the way this place used to look. Oh, good night. But no, you start looking, you go, well, there's a division. You know what God said? Somebody's causing division. Mark them. Well, that's not what he says. Read the verse. He says, now, I beseech you, brother, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. And then he gives you the qualifier. Contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Shun them. Stay away from them. He's not talking about you like this type of music and we like this type of music. You, know, you go around this room and just ask about music preferences. And I doubt there's two people alike in here. And so one of the problems as a church, when we start picking out music to go, okay, what do we sing? Well, what we've realized is we're going to sing based on what we believe honors Jesus. And if you don't like the style, 
then put whatever you want on your radio when you leave here. But while we're in here, we're going to focus on Jesus. And does this song uplift him? Yes, it does. Okay. That's what I mean by it is not the division based on likes and dislikes. It's division based on doctrine. And God says, shun them. Stay away from them. Well, how are we ever going to know if somebody's creating division based on doctrine if we ourselves aren't in the book? Now, I'm about to close right here. Watch. He says, I've gave you some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so he, he lets you know right here, he says, this is the reason I've given you these guys. Why? He says, for the perfecting of the saints. In other words, the maturing, growing you in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, for the work of the ministry. Whoa. You notice what he did? I gave you some pastors, teachers. Why? So that they can grow you. Why does he want them to be grown? So that they can work the work of the ministry. Oh, we paid Justin for that. No, that's not what the verse says. He says, listen, he says, for the edifying of the body. How long are we going to do this? Till we all come in unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. In other words, until we all look like Jesus. Then he says, this is why it's so important. He says, because that we have henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. There are people out there ready to destroy you. Doctrinally. And if you don't get into this book, They're going to destroy you. You're going to be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. That's why we have people that leave this congregation and join churches that are Reformed theology. How did you do that? Because you sit here and you didn't listen to anything. And it isn't that you didn't listen to anything. Oh, yeah, you, you heard me babble about it. You heard Justin and Jerry. We all babbled about it. But you never actually got in the book yourself. Because if you got the book yourself and you studied the book for yourself, then when you left here, you wouldn't pick out a church that teaches contrary to what the book says. That's why doctrine matters. You say, why does it matter? Because your soul is in the balance. And even if your soul is secure in Christ, what about your kids? What about your grandkids? Part of the reason I'm so adamant about not giving in one ounce is because there's a little dude running around here. It is very, very vital to me that he biblically understands Jesus and that his future on this planet, if the Lord tarries and I go home to be with the Lord, I want to know that that little dude knows that book. And I don't want him to go, well, my grandpa said, which that's not what he calls me, but I don't want him to think one second, well, my family's all in the Word of God. Well, great. Are you? I want the next generation to have the same opportunity to know God in the depths 
of Christ's mind right here as I've had. And the only way you're going to get that is personal Bible study. You will never be deep in the Word based off of what guys are saying in pulpits. You will only get deep in this book when you open the book for yourself and you study and say, God, I need you to teach me and God, I need to know what you say about this. And as they come get a song, let me say this. The lessons that I have learned from Mark Trotter, Jeff Adams, Charles Williams, they stick sometimes. But the lessons that God has taught me out of this book personally have stayed forever. Where you get rooted and grounded in this book is never going to come from one of your pastors. Where you're going to get rooted and grounded in this book is when you yourself open up the book and study it for you. Are you in the habit of studying the Word of God? Let's stand to our feet. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. I'm so thankful that we have the mind of Christ in a book that you have delivered to us right in our hands. And that every day of our life, we have an opportunity to search the mind of Christ. That we may be closer to you and know for sure the certainty of the words of God. And help us today that we make a commitment to knowing what you have to say about a matter. Not based upon our pastors, not based upon our friends but based upon simply getting into this book and knowing what it says. Father, if there's any here today that's never been saved, God, let this be the day they come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.